In Session with Dr. Farid Hulakwi. Afternoon. Welcome to In Session. I'm your host, Dr. Fadi Tolakwi, and I'll be with you for the next two hours here on Radio Hamra. Studio number to call in 3104410555. I'm a licensed clinical psychologist, so you can call in with any questions related to clinical psychology, including any emotional or psychological issues, parenting issues, and relationship issues as well. You can also follow me on Twitter or Instagram or like my page on Facebook to get updates on the show or suggest topics or books for the program. And the shows are uploaded at the end of each week to my SoundCloud page and podcast on iTunes. Again, our studio number 3104410555. Before I get into the books, I wanted to thank my guest from Monday night. On Monday night's show, I had a therapist um, visiting from the Vancouver area who was talking about the psychology of decision-making. So a big thanks to Mariam Wapalami who joined me Monday night and we talked about some things about what it means to make a good decision, um, including how it relates to your identity, your values, and who you are, and also touched a bit upon how to talk to your kids or help them become better decision-makers. And I actually might continue some of that discussion uh, today, depending on how the show goes, because we only got to spend a few minutes on that very important topic. So again, a big thank you to Mariam Rolami for joining me Monday night. All right, getting into the books of the week, since I didn't get to talk about the book on Monday, the book of the week for this week is Everything in Its Place by Oliver Sacks. Everything in Its Place, First Loves and Last Tales by Oliver Sacks. Um, Oliver Sacks, died, I think, in 2015. So this book appears to be a collection of some of his last writings. And so I'm a little bit skeptical anytime a book is released or music is released or something is released posthumously after someone has died because you don't know if that individual themselves wanted the work to be released in that way. Is it someone just trying to collect things and release them because they know there'll be a lot of attention? Oliver Sacks a very well-known psychiatrist, and his books were um, very well-received, and I've read a few of them, and even when when you see him talk, you you really admire him for who he is and the way he would think about things and the compassion he had for his patients, and when he talked about even some very unusual cases, he had this very um, clear compassion for the individuals he was talking about, and a really great thinker. So um, I'm excited to read it, but I have some of that in the back of my mind, too, of was this a book he himself would have wanted to be released and and whatnot, but it's a collection of some of his previously unreleased and last works that were not ever released. So we'll read that and share that with you next week. Uh, the book of the week from last week that I'll talk about tonight or today is Life Finds a Way by Andreas Wagner. Life finds a way what evolution teaches us about creativity. And this was a very fascinating book. I really uh, enjoyed it and highly recommend anyone to read it. Um, Creativity is a psychologically related topic, but a lot of this book dealt with evolutionary biology, but then he tied it into creativity. And it was quite fascinating for me to read this book. And 
I very much agreed with a lot of what he was saying. Although the first parts of the book where it was about evolutionary biology, I agreed with him after I read it, but it was some new to me about how evolution works and some thinking in evolution that I hadn't uh, ever heard of before myself, which I'll touch on before I get into the more uh, psychologically related side. But so as the title says, Life Finds a Way, um, and it's looking at how evolution, what evolution teaches us about creativity, what we see in life or anything that exists is somehow a solution to a problem. Any animal that has survived had to um, come up with different mechanisms and adaptations to survive. And so in some ways we can look at those as solutions to a problem, which is in a way related to creativity where we're trying to create a new solution to a problem, something that's there. And even we could look at works of art, although you might not think of it as a problem, but it's still trying to create something that fits some uh, question or makes us feel something. So in that way, it still involves solving a problem. But so he talked about how we look at evolution or we think of natural selection as the only force that creates evolution, but it's more complicated than that. And so I was introduced to this concept of an adaptive landscape, which is essentially that when we look at the fitness of an animal, and fitness means their ability to survive and reproduce, it's not just a two-dimensional thing. We can think of it as a mountain range type of a landscape where there are different peaks and different mountains, some higher, some lower. Sometimes you go up a certain mountain and that's only as high as you can go when it's not necessarily the highest peak. The highest peak might be up another mountain, another route. And so in evolution, unfortunately, what natural selection does is it keeps pushing up the same peak, but that might not be always the best peak to go up. And I know this might sound a little complex. It is a little bit complex. And even after reading it, uh, some of the diagrams help, but it's a little bit complicated. But it's essentially that the best solution isn't always just built on improving on what you're already doing or what has already worked. But because natural selection uh, keeps going up the same way, it can't take a step downward because only the fittest survive. If it only were left to natural selection alone, there would be no way for evolution to explore these other peaks to actually see if there's other ways to reach a higher um, level of fitness to survive in that way. And so it isn't just natural selection that is essential for evolution. We also see other factors, things like genetic mutations and genetic drift, um, which can add to the diversity of, of things, which means that you can explore other ways of doing things. And also through the process of sex, meaning that the combination or recombination of genetic material, this also allows for the exploration of new avenues for diversity to come about, which then could potentially lead to other breakthroughs or the ability to explore other ranges in this landscape. So essentially the first uh, half of the book, or maybe even more, was explaining how evolution works in this way, that it's not just about natural selection using what already works and building on that, which is a lot of what we think of when we think of even new ideas, like, okay, what, what do we already know? Keep working with those and make them better. But that we need mutations, we need genetic drift, we need recombination to create better things, to explore other things. And so this he then compares 
to creativity in that when we're trying to find the best solution to a problem, we need to have the space to do some of these things. We have to have the, the space, for example, to explore different ideas, some of which might not be good. Many of them won't be good. And so he talks about the tolerance failures being such an important thing to have individually, but then he extends it to society at large or schools even and, and, and cultures that we want to have the tolerance for failure because oftentimes what will lead to a better solution is we have to explore some bad solutions first, or we have to have the space to try a variety of different things. Often the best solution or new solutions won't come about by just doing the same things and refining them. Sometimes we need something totally different. We have to jump to a different landscape or different part of the landscape to find something better. Um, and so related to this, he also talks about uh, the importance of play. And we sometimes think of play as something wasteful or something that kids do, but we see that play is very important in creativity, even in adults, that play is a time to explore ideas, to try out new things. And even in the process of play, ideas can come to us that then can turn into something better. So he had a, a, a chunk of a chapter that was devoted to the importance of play and that we shouldn't lose that playfulness even when we're trying to create as adult solutions that we think of as very grown up. Also, diversity is so important. So going back to that idea of genetic diversity, we want to be able to explore new combinations of things. Uh, diversity in ideas is important. And so this doesn't just mean that if you are creating a team, you need to have people necessarily from different ethnic backgrounds that can help. Uh, or you need to have men and women, that can help as well, but also people that come from different viewpoints, different disciplines. And he says how this is one negative thing that we're seeing in some college universities, for example, where there are different departments and the different departments work independent of each other, where there isn't this cross-exchange of different ideas, where people are not collaborating together. And he himself um, is part of the Santa Fe Institute, something that he mentioned which is somewhere that people from different fields, from literature to science to the different types of arts to um, mathematics, whatever it might be, come together and exchange ideas. And we often see that this recombination, which is similar to the recombination we see in sexual reproduction in the animal kingdom or in our evolution and our genetics, can contribute to more creativity. Or even that individuals who have lived in different countries can be more creative. He didn't mention bilingual. I didn't remember him mentioning the, the advantages of being bilingual, but I've also read research that has found that people who are bilingual can be more creative because the knowing or the knowledge of the two languages creates thinking of things in different perspectives because language can represent things in different ways and this makes us think of things in different ways. Even for someone like myself, there are some idioms in Farsi that can be so funny when you translate them to English because there's a lot lost in the translation, but it helps you think of things in different ways or recognize different perspectives. And so being bilingual can help, but also living in different countries can be helpful. And so he shares how so many immigrants have created great work or how lots of even fashion designers who've lived a majority of their life in a different country ended up developing more creative designs and were more creative. So we see the value of 
getting things from different cultures or experiencing different things. And that really creativity a lot of times isn't necessarily coming up with something completely new, but coming up with combinations of things and ideas and concepts that already exist in a new way, a way that wasn't done before. Rarely is it something completely new that's developed, but it's the combination. So living in a different country might actually be beneficial to your creativity. So if you've lived some years in Uruguay or some other country and then you move to the United States, this might actually help you be more creative than someone who's lived their whole life in the same country. And as I say that, I recognize that I've lived my whole life in Southern California. So maybe if I live or had lived already somewhere else for a few years, it would make me a more creative individual. Um, but so there is a lot in the end of the book talking about how we can create better cultures or even as parents, how to cultivate creativity. And a lot of it has to do also with autonomy and giving people freedom. We have to have the freedom to explore different ideas and concepts, or even a lot of great scientists um, have actually themselves done something in the arts. And we see that that can contribute. So they played violin or some musical instrument or performed in some way and that artistic side also contributed to their scientific contributions so sometimes we think of things as unrelated and so if you want to get good at math you should just study math and if you want to get good at chemistry you should only study chemistry but we see that this is actually very limiting and what's better is to actually study different disciplines try different things get involved in some kind of artistic expression and see how that actually will contribute to whatever it is you want to do in ways that you might not have imagined. So it's not that you say, I'm going to go take a pottery class because that's going to make me come up with a new theory of chemistry, but it's actually that you're not going to be aware of how the recombination takes place, but you want to give yourself the space to explore a variety of things. And so we should give our children that same experience. Let them try different things. Let them um, feel the passion of what they are interested in, because he also talks about the importance of intrinsic motivation, that if we're motivated from within, it's very different than if we're thinking about the external results. And actually even studies show that when people focus on the external rewards, for example, from writing versus the intrinsic reward of how they enjoy writing, they come up with less creative outputs. They create something less creative than if they actually um, just focus on how much they love what they're doing or they enjoy writing itself. So he, he does a great job of creating this um, argument for how evolution works in de different ways, which aren't just about finding the best thing and making it better, but that we need to have diversity of things, we need to recombine things, and then showing how this can relate to things like play in human beings and diversity, tolerance, failure, and autonomy for individuals that can be hallmarks, as he puts it, of creative societies. And so he starts from the, you know, almost the minute of DNA and how that works, and we can see creativity in that way, but also then bringing it out to the bigger picture of how we can be more creative individuals uh, as parents for our children, for universities and schools, and then also society at large. So it was a great, really interesting book that uh, I really enjoyed reading and had a lot of good ideas about how we can um, try to create more creativity within ourselves and how we have to be more willing to accept failure in our lives and accept failure in general, giving people that chance, and then also learn from each other and realize we can always be learning 
uh, from whoever it is or whatever it is that we're interacting with, there can be lessons there that can help us become more creative in general. So highly, uh, I highly enjoyed this book and really recommend it to anyone who wants to read a book that talks about evolution, but also talks about creativity and how you can make yourself more creative. That was Life Finds a Way by Andreas Wagner, What Evolution Teaches Us About Creativity. All right, we've reached our first commercial break. Studio number 3104. Let's go to a caller. Radio Hamra, you're on the air. Hello? Yes, hi. You're on the air. Thanks for calling. Yes, hi. Um, Thank you for speaking with me. I had a question Mm -hmm. about um, my son and the situation I just wanted to kind of explain to you. Um, So my husband and I had um, our son. He's 21 months now. Um, We also have a four-month-old daughter. Mm -hmm. And we had both of our kids while we were in residency training. And um, we just finished residency like a month ago. Congratulations. That's, I don't know how you did that with with the little one and then pregnant with the other one. That's, that's quite remarkable. That's wonderful. I okay. know. Somehow we managed. Yeah, but, great. So the way we kind of did it was um, basically we had a live-in nanny that lived with us and took care of our son. Mm-hmm. Um, this nanny was Georgian. She spoke primarily Russian. My husband's from Russia, and I'm Iranian. Okay. So we speak Farsi, English, and Russian in the house, mm-hmm. um, just like as a background. Um, so, like, I noticed, you know, when my daughter was born, um, four months ago, that he started, like, I don't know, I guess you would say hitting, but it wasn't anything that we were ever really that concerned with. Now, you say uh, he, you say he, I'm, I'm assuming your son, not the, your, your husband, I'm hoping. I'm sorry? I was, I was kind of joking. It's, I think your son started hitting, you said he. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, he started hitting the child or t- the, the baby or other people? No, 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 us. Okay. Okay. Um, like sometimes in fits of rage, and we wouldn't understand where it was coming from, but um, it was very sporadic and nothing. He's generally a very happy social child, so mm-hmm. nothing was very concerning to us. Um, we would just like try to discipline him, say no, you know, grab his hand. I don't, I don't know what we were doing. Anyways. Well, I mean, um, it's not easy to handle those situations because on one hand, you don't want to say it's okay to hit and it doesn't matter. And on the other hand, you don't want to make him feel too bad about it because he's just having a hard time controlling his feelings. You know, there's a lot of emotions he's having and it's coming out in this way. a lot of change for him. So Mm -hmm, um, mm -hmm. we kind of let it go. But fast forward to um, last month when we graduated, um, we basically, our nanny that took care of him since he was like two months old had to leave us. So we had to get a new nanny. We moved um, states, so we're in a new house. city um he started daycare actually immediately after we moved and he seems to like it but with us it seems like fits he's just like fits of rage are mm-hmm. common like i don't know how to explain it but like he's just you know throwing tantrums left and right it seems like it seems like he's very upset but then like sometimes he goes back and forth like he can be okay but then the next second he's throwing a huge tantrum i mean and he's like just beating us left and right every second he gets. Like, it's just... Just out of nowhere? Or if you say no to him or... No, out of nowhere. Mm-hmm. Like, we'd be at a grocery shopping and he'd, like, start hitting us from for no reason. And then... And, like, we try to distract or, like, yesterday I tried to distract him with a ball or, like, I tried to, like, you know... But whatever I do, it just doesn't help. He, like, gets enraged further and um, he starts screaming and then 
And then, like, for instance, overnight, he doesn't sleep anymore. Like, he sleeps once in a while, but, like, most nights he's up crying. And I just don't know. I'm sure some of it's, um, some of it's like, you know, situational with everything yeah. that's going on. I just don't know if any of it's because of the language situation that he hasn't developed or... Or maybe, like, if it's behavior, like, if should we look into it further is my question. Well, or what should we you're consider? obviously going to keep an eye, an eye on him and on it, you know, in general. When you said the language part, I know you mentioned that Nanny was um, Georgian and spoke Russian. You mean that he doesn't speak English or that he doesn't talk, he's not very verbal for his age? No, he is. Actually, he's primarily, like, if he vocalizes, he knows his numbers in, in English and he knows words in English. Like, I think he understands more English. He communicates, sometimes you can say Farsi words, and he understands. Mm-hmm. Okay. The least amount of it's Russian, I think, because the nanny's Russian wasn't very good, I think. <laughs> okay. But, well, so language doesn't seem, I mean, and he's 21 months, so he's not going to be so verbal anyway. He's going to use maybe two, three-word phrases at the most. Oh, so we're okay that he's, he might be a little delayed, okay. but I don't know how much of that is playing into everything. Yeah, I wouldn't make that too... Uh, from what you're saying, it seems like he's doing all right. Um, you know, even when you were talking about how many significant changes have happened recently, it, mm-hmm. it's a lot. You know, even for me, I'm like, oh, it's that and that. I, I can feel overwhelmed. You know, the moving, yeah. you guys finishing, having a new baby, um, you know, moving cities and moving houses, all these things. It's a lot for anyone to deal with. I'm sure for you and your husband, it's been a lot to deal with. But we can imagine for a little 21-month-old it's also yeah. so much. So there's a lot of change that's happening that can be unsettling, overwhelming, dysregulating for a child. And so he just seems to be more overwhelmed right now. He could have some anger towards you guys for what's happened and what's going on, even having the baby. And so that's coming out in these ways. Um, mm-hmm. I wouldn't get too concerned yet if he's hitting. Uh, to me, it seems like there's some anger. And, you know, when they approach two... They talk about the terrible twos, and it's, it doesn't mean it has to start at two or that it stops necessarily. But, um, you know, he's going to be having these reactions. And I know you said something that a lot of parents can feel because it, it seems that way. You said um, he hits us or has tantrums for no reason. And I'm yeah. not saying he needs to have a tantrum or he should have a tantrum. But always when we are looking at our kids' behavior, we want to come from a stance of curiosity. We're trying to understand What's going on? Why might he be feeling overwhelmed right now or feeling a lot of feelings? And the reason why that's important is, one, to have that to try to understand him better, which will help you guys. But also, so as he gets older, he gets that sense from you guys that you're not judging him for what he's doing, but always trying to understand him. That, okay, you know, he's tangible. As you said, he's not also sleeping well. So you're going to get more emotionally dysregulated when you don't sleep well. Even as an adult, we're more restless and and snap more easily. So... Um, you know, all these factors combined would make me think, could there be something more going on? Of course, but, you know, I could understand him having a tough time dealing with everything that's going on and he's expressing it in this way. And then what's also important related to that is that we don't make him feel bad about that, which is what I was saying Mm -hmm. about the, how to respond to the tantrums and to the hitting. Mm -hmm. Of course you can let him know we don't, you know, we don't like that or don't hit or gently grab his hand maybe, but we don't want to, you know, use the word punish and I didn't know exactly what that meant. We want to make sure we don't make him feel too bad because he's just. Timeouts. Okay. At at his age, he's not going to. Yeah. At his, I mean, general timeouts. Well, here's the thing. um, Timeouts you know, became very popular not that long ago. I mean, a few decades ago. And 
really what timeouts are supposed to be used for is not as a punishment, but actually as a way of helping children learn to self-regulate. But most parents mm. use it as punishment. Oh, you're being bad. Go to your room. Timeout. Well, but, my husband has been trying really hard to like communicate with him so mm-hmm. and try to like improve what our situation so he'll actually take him to his bed is like a safe spot in mm-hmm. my opinion so he takes him to his room and like tries to talk to him about it it's not like we leave him there to like okay it's a rage but he talks to him like why are you doing this are you okay What's wrong? Yeah. obviously he doesn't respond but, like, yeah and that's why i would be you know even that why question we do want to try to understand the why but we have to get that he's not he doesn't even know what's happening first of all he's not able to verbalize it anyway so you know we don't want to put that pressure on him or go to that place with him that he needs to explain himself it seems Mm -hmm. like we know what's kind of going on he's overwhelmed he's his feelings are too big for him to handle and so it's coming out in this way and so that's good that if he goes with him to help calm him down and show him it's okay he's going to get calm you can start talking about, oh, it seems like you're very angry and start to label his feelings. That can be helpful mm-hmm. as he gets older to understand these things, that these are feelings. It's okay. Mm-hmm. But you really want to make sure you make him feel okay about what's I going think. on. Because, you know, he's under a lot of pressure and stress, just like you guys, of course, have been. But we can imagine yeah. for a little less, you know, boy who's less than two years old, that's a lot to deal with. So yeah, I'd be very yeah. aware of how you respond to him. Um, That's what I wanted to know. So, so fits of rage or like hitting, it's it's okay to take him aside or just you know, but kind of calmly try to regroup him instead of you know getting angrier. Yeah, yeah. We don't need to get you know. He's so if we try to understand what's going on, we don't exactly know, but we know that he's. It seems like he's feeling overwhelmed by things that are going on. And yeah. in his little body and brain, it's too much to handle all this feeling and emotion, and it comes out in yeah. these ways. You know, he can't verbalize it. He can't control a lot of the situation. He can't even really communicate to you guys what he really wants, if he even knew what he wanted. So we're trying to help him learn to that we're going to be there for him. His feelings are okay. We love him. Even if he's upset, we still love him. And we're going to help him start to learn how to get a better handle of his feelings for himself. Not because he shouldn't feel anything, but that it doesn't feel good for him to have a tantrum either. And so we're working with him. You know, a book I would recommend um, that it's not related to this specifically, but I think it's a good book. And it's written by, uh, I believe she was a pediatrician. I read this a while ago. Um, The Developmental Science of Early Childhood by Claudia M. Gold. Mm-hmm. You might find that okay. I just think it's a good book on on okay. has parenting. It's not and it's less technique based to be honest. So a lot of times I know parents want to know, okay, should I sleep train my kids and if so how to do that? It doesn't get into that as much but more mm-hmm. of a broader perspective on how to approach certain things with your kids. But you know, when I'm hearing the what your kid is going through, it's a lot. And I know and this is another thing you're probably going to experience as well. He's the older one. Um, and sometimes parents, it's so hard to lose track on that. Even when a kid is the older one and we sometimes have these expectations on them, they're usually unreasonable because he's the older one, but he's 21 months old. He's a baby, you know, so we can, even as as they get older and he's, let's say, um, you know, close to three and the baby is one, you're going to expect him to sometimes, you might expect him to be like a five-year-old, a 10-year-old, like you shouldn't be causing trouble. 
your one-year-old sister might, but you should be easier than this. So be mindful of that too as they get older because they are so close in age that sometimes, yeah. you know, the older one is actually themselves so little and we can't, we don't want to ever lose sight of them being a baby and a of child course. too. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Um, what do you recommend as far as how to approach a, like tantrums? I have no idea if I should ignore them or because sometimes when I try to, console it actually makes it worse yeah and b it's the nighttime um freak outs that i don't know how to mm. how to approach well your the, dad had told me to not let him in our bed and we tried that but yeah other than that nothing else sure talked. and i know that's easier said than done the not letting him in your bed and we do want to you know it's the, the classic things to go back with the child and stay with them till they fall asleep in their own bed so they mm-hmm. get what they want at some level. Of course, they prefer the mm-hmm. comfort of being in the bed with you, but they get the comfort and they are with you until they fall back asleep. And then you go back to your own bed, which is tough because I know we're saying this right now when it's, I don't know where it is, what time it is where you are, but it's like around noon. But when it's three in the morning and they come to your room and you're so tired, you don't always have the energy to go back to their room and help them fall asleep and then go back, you know, and you say, okay, just come to bed and let's call the it a night. Problem- when we go to his room, it doesn't actually help. He actually ends up staying awake, which I don't know exactly what to do about that. Either. Okay, that's know. yeah, that is tough. I mean, he he is very young. He's twenty one months, so it's not easy for yeah. him. And he he might be waking up, and we don't know if he had a, a dream or what he's going through. So we want to try that as much as we can. The okay. tant- the tantrums in general, it's not something we don't want to. We want to ignore it in the extent that we don't want to reinforce the behavior. Right. And when we console them, even if you do want to console him, it should be less about making him calm, but showing him you understand how you he feels or that he's feeling something. Because you, a lot of times when parents are consoling, it's more about you need to calm down now or this is annoying or too much rather than it seems like you're going through a hard time. And so we want mm-hmm. to have more of that second perspective of this seems very difficult. You're going through a lot. I'm here with you if you need time to calm down or if you just need time to let it out, you can let it out. Um, but I'm still here. And what in the book she mentions is too, that I, I, I mentioned to you about how unfortunately what a lot of times parents do is that when kids act this way, that's when we tell them, Oh, like you're being so annoying. And it's telling them that when you are needing me the most, I'm going away from you. Cause that's when they actually, he needs you the most. Now he might not respond well to you consoling him, it's not clear. There's no, you know, magic pill or magic recipe of how to handle a tantrum in a way that's going to make it go away. Sometimes it's just going to have to be uncomfortable for a while. He's just, gonna, you know, even in public, sometimes obviously it happens and you might feel even worse, but even at home and we might have to just accept that he's going to be upset. You don't want to just give him whatever he wants when he tantrums. That's also part of what we mean by ignoring it, because then we can reinforce that when you really want to get something, you can use this as a weapon, essentially, like to get what right. you want. So we want to be mindful of that, that we can empathize and recognize. And uh, we always want to say yes to the feeling, even if we say no to the demand or the request. So I understand mm-hmm. you're upset, but, you know, we can't have this or we can't go outside or whatever it is he's asking for. At times you can't give it to him. So that's a big part of when we say ignoring it is to make sure we don't just give in to what he's Could asking for. Um, mm-hmm. But from what I'm hearing from you, you know, it's tough having, uh, like I said, you guys should write a book about what you, how you managed to do what you guys did with two babies and both being in residency. But keep in mind that it's very stressful for them too. 
you know, you know, and they're, and they're a lot littler than you guys and they don't know what's going on and they have no control and they had no say in what happened and they're just dealing with it. And so on top of that, don't get the feeling of guilt of, oh, I feel bad. So if he's overwhelmed, it's my fault. Cause then what that can lead to is you wanting him not to act out as much because it makes you feel worse. So just, you have to try to come to terms with your own feelings as well. And in that book, she also mentions that how important it is as the parent to deal with your own feelings about what's going on because if they're not dealt with you're gonna spill them over onto your kids and so you want to be mindful of that too okay it's good to know yeah Yeah, it's really helpful thank you so much because i wasn't sure if what we're doing is actually working and we're both kind of stuck and we were actually worried if we should worry about something else or like you know i think um some people I've heard say it takes a few months. I don't know exactly how long to give it if it doesn't go away. Like, a, a few months for what? Sorry, I missed what you said. For him to recover from all oh. this and to be normal. Again. Yeah, I, I mean, know you know, even when we look at milestones and, you know, it should take this long or that long, we want to be a little bit flexible. Situations are different and people are, you know, if you go online, you can hear a hundred different opinions on how long something right. should take or what it's supposed to happen. And you're, you're a, a, as a doctor yourself, I'm sure you're aware of that. People come in with these assumptions about what, you, you never know, they, give them. <laughs> yeah, they already think they know so much about it before they see you. So be careful right. about figuring those things out. I would be more, I'd be a little bit patient with it. It's tough what he's going through. It's not surprising he's acting out and any two-year-old is going to tantrum a bit, even in the most ideal of situations and circumstances so um just be you know if you can don't worry about trying to fix it there's no you know having two kids this young it's going to be hard if anyone tells you it's so easy they're you know that they're probably not telling the whole story and it doesn't mean it can't be enjoyable a lot of times you won't can't be happy but that it's going to be challenging and so and this adjustment's going to take some time and going to daycare he might like it he might then come home but still be mad at you and then you wonder why he's mad at you because he liked it there yeah that's also a common experience parents will always say i watch the the camera and i see him having a good time and then i pick him up and he he's so mad at me because when they see you they remember that you left them and they also don't want you to get too comfortable leaving them you know it's a reminder of that separation so I hear that all the time. Even as they get older, kids will say things like, you know, as they're more verbal, the parents say, oh, did you have a good time? Like, no, I just cried the whole time. And they watch the video and they see they're not crying the whole time. They're playing the whole time. But they're just letting you know, hey, don't get too comfortable with this leaving me business, you know, because they don't like that. So uh, we can understand where they're coming from is that, no, I didn't like this. I don't like being away from you. I miss you. Even if they have fun ones, they're there. So we're again trying to be curious about what they're telling us and understand it rather than judge it or tell them, no, you actually had a good time or why did I see you smiling, playing? You know, we don't want to just like have an argument with them about what they felt, but try to recognize where it's coming from. Right. Okay. Yeah. Sounds good. Ah, thank you so much. Sure. For Thanks. Me. Yeah. Thank you for calling. And uh, I wish you guys the best. Hope you can get a good night's rest in about five years. I know. I hope <laughs> so. Thank you so Probably much. not anytime soon, but good luck. Thank you. Nice talking to you. Take care. Bye-bye. All right. We've reached another commercial break. We'll be right back. Welcome back. Let's go to another caller. Radio Hamra, you're on the air. Are you talking to me? Yes, I am. Thanks for calling. Yes. Hi, Doc. I'm 55 years old. I have two kids. My son is 24 and my daughter is 22 years old. Mm -hmm. I have a lot of issues with my daughter. Um... 
isn't still in the college. However, she's supposed to be graduated, but she's still in the second year. She does not good at, do good at college at all. Mm-hmm. Her GPA is around like 2.1 or 2. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know what to tell you. Um I don't know. I, what, I don't know what for you to tell me. So when you said already, I'm feeling you're very disappointed in her, and you have to be aware of how that's going to make her feel, because I'm already just hearing it from you. The way you talk about her is very disappointed. Yes. She should yes, have already graduated. True. Yeah. Okay. But that's yes. that's just something already. Uh, it's very clear. But it seems like you are concerned about her. So yeah, go ahead. Yes, very concerned about that part. Uh, physically, she looks very good in terms of the behavior, excellent behavior in the public. Mm-hmm. Even at home, the behavior is not that bad either. But in public, extremely good, very mature uh, daughter. That's, that's the way I see it. Mm-hmm. For example, when she started going to the college, the first semester, uh, like she got F in one subject. And when later on she told me, I asked her, you know, she told me, I said, how come you got F? You could get at least D. She said, I didn't feel like it. I want to go to the class. Mm-hmm. Because she was hanging with uh, some older guy over there. Okay. Yeah. Now, she one changed thing... so many boyfriends. She Sorry, what? She changed so many boyfriends. Okay. Uh, she uh, she's not a party girl at all. She doesn't do drug or alcohol. She's not involved in those things. She has friends, but uh, mostly she wants to spend the time with like a guy all the time. Mm-hmm. Couple years ago, what, you know, let me stop you. What's her relationship like with her dad? Uh, it's good. It's good, but the dad is like a little bit age different. Okay. My husband is, you know, much older. How old is he? Uh, but he's very, he's very kind and he's very nice. Okay. How old is he? He's like he's 72 years old. Okay. So he's like 17 years older than you? Yes. And so he's about 50 years older than your daughter? Yes. Okay. That's pre- yeah, that's pretty big. And then you even already said older guys. So there could be some connection there. But okay. Yes. A couple years ago... Uh, she starts seeing a counselor. She pick one, and she, you know, she said, "I have depression. I have this and that." She starts seeing the counselor, and the time she starts seeing that counselor, before that, like many times, she said, "You are such a great mom. I learned so many things from you. You this and that." Uh, basically, when they were, you know, both of my kids at the age uh, that they could work, I send them to work. Working part-time. Mm-hmm. I teach them to use the bus, metro, everything. So, you know, trying to teach them to be a little bit independent. And she always appreciates those things. When she starts seeing the counselor, one day she came to me and she said, you didn't do anything for me. Mm-hmm. Basically, I raised myself. Mm-hmm. You never done anything for me. And then so she, she got a tattoo. And after that, she got another tattoo. And she become, you know, a little bit wide. Uh, you know, I asked her if I can attend, you know, with her to talk to that consular, and she said no. I emailed that consular, and for some reason, you know, she got the consular got so angry, and you know, she said no, I cannot do that. I well, let asked me, her if I can see you. Sure. Let me privately. stop. No, and, you, and yeah. yeah, and the therapist said no. 
The consular said no. That's good. That's probably that's the right thing to do, um, because it's your. But the point is. Well, let me hold. Say, yes, but so ahead. the point also is that it's your daughter's therapy, so she's allowed to have her own experience there. And I think the therapist actually handled it very well to not have you come in individually without her. If your daughter wanted you to come in, you could go, but that's your daughter's choice more than it's your choice. I think it seems like what you were feeling was that uh, by going to therapy, your daughter was having a new perspective on you and on her childhood. And you probably felt the need to defend yourself or to go in and and tell what probably to you seems like the truth which is what you think happened more and maybe you felt like the therapist was i don't you're not, you didn't use this word but i've heard it from other parents before like brainwashing your daughter into thinking you were a bad mom or something like that which i can see how probably, that was yeah yeah so i can see that was hard for you that to all of a sudden hear your daughter go from telling you you were such a great mom you were the best mom to you did nothing for me and the truth is, obviously, it's not that you did nothing for her, but she might have become aware of a lot of things she did not think about before. And therapy can have that effect. I don't think it should be about blaming someone, but it does under help us understand things better. And it might mean you and her have to talk about some things that she's now upset about. And hopefully you can allow for those conversations with her. Doesn't mean you were a bad mom. I'm sure you did everything you could. And you loved both of your kids very much. Uh, but there are probably things you did that still hurt her or that she doesn't feel very good about that would be good for you guys to talk about. But anyway, you were talking about how you wanted to go see the therapist and she didn't let you go. The therapist said no. Um, and then so what happened from there? Well, she started seeing that therapist for a while. And one day she stopped going there. And later on when I asked her, she said, the reason I stopped going there because um, it was causing me to hate you. Hmm. That's okay. what she said. See, the problem with her, she lies. And the way she lies is even myself as a mom, sometimes I do believe her. Mm-hmm. You know? Well, as you know, when we, with lying, we always want to think about how easy we make it for them to tell us the truth. Sorry, I didn't get it. What I was saying is if, if, our, if we find that our child is lying and lying to us, we have to always ask ourselves, how easy are we making it for them to tell us the truth? Yeah. So maybe okay. I, I can feel that. And that's what I was, you know, what I felt in the beginning that there was a, a judgment of what she had done. It's likely that you can come off with her judgmental at times, which makes it hard for her to tell you things. Right. Okay, like for example, she was dating, you know, a couple of times she told me, you never support me. Mm-hmm. However, to my understanding, I support her all the time. The time I did not support her was, for instance, um, she was dating a guy, and at the same time, she was trying to get uh, to date another guy. So, I, you know, when she was telling me, I said, it's not right. Mm-hmm. The same thing if that person does this to you, you don't like it, um, so you shouldn't do that. And she just gave me a smile and left. Mm-hmm. Um, hmm. Like at the school, you know, she always brings excuses. The teacher is a foreigner. She does, she, the teacher doesn't know how to teach. There is always some excuses yeah. for whatever it happens. Well, and th- at the same time, she says, I'm exactly the same you are. 
I'm your tui. She says she's like you. Do you see you guys, you and her, as similar? We are what? Do you see what she's saying? Do you think you and her are similar or you don't see it? Sorry, I didn't get it. Do you, your daughter is saying that you and her are like twins? Yes. Okay, so I'm asking, do you see that? Do you think you and her are like twins? In some point, yes. Okay. In some point, yes. Yeah, okay. But I'm, other points, no. Okay. Well, the, the lying, I could see how it's concerning, and I don't want to say if she lies, it's all your fault, because that's not fair and not going to be true. But as I was saying, we have to be aware of how easy it is for her to tell us things um, and tell us the truth. And something going back, I know you said she got an F and your first response was, well, you should have at least got a B. I'm sure she could have got a B. But I always tell parents that if, to me, F is not an academic grade, it's more of an emotional, psychological grade because any child in a class or any college student in a class should not be getting an F if they're feeling okay. It means something's going on, unless they're completely in the wrong class, like they don't know even geometry and you put them in a calculus class, yes, they're going to get an F. But any kid who's in a class or teenager or college student, if they get an F, that should concern us more from an emotional level rather than just an academic level that they're not trying hard enough. So even if they're not trying hard enough, which is probably obviously the case if they got an F, we want to try to understand what else is going on. They definitely are not doing okay if they're getting an F. And so I know you said she's 22 and she should have already finished college, but it clearly seems like your daughter is struggling or suffering with some psychological issues and things that are going to get in the way of her doing well. And rather than focusing on just making sure she graduates on time or at the right time, we want to make sure she's okay on a psychological, emotional level, because that's going to extend even further than what she's going through right now or if she graduates on time. So we're at a commercial break. I'm going to stop you there just because I want to actually continue the conversation. We're at a commercial break, but after the break, we can talk a bit more about what's going on, things you've done, and what else maybe you can do to help her or to help in your relationship with her, okay? Welcome back. Before the break, we're listening to Insession with Let's go back to her. Now, Caller, are you still there? Yes. Okay, so we're talking about your um, 22-year-old daughter who you said you've had lots of issues with and you're concerned about how she's doing in general especially school but also uh, you brought up some concerns about her romantic relationships and who she has dated as well Um, and before the break I know you wanted to share some more things so I do want to give you a chance to talk more about whatever you had in mind about her before we get into some more ideas of what you can do yes go ahead if you have some ideas, yeah. Oh, well, sure. Okay. Well, I wanted to know more what you, you were talking about her and things you were worried about. You mentioned some things, the lying or even dating more than one person and the way you described it. She was doing it in a way where she didn't want to tell them about each other or something because you felt like it was not okay. Uh, where you right. told her she shouldn't do that. And as I was saying before, it can be ha- hard to have these conversations when, let's say, you're so upset about something she's doing or you think it's so wrong. But the more we can suspend our judgment and judging them, the more likely it is they'll tell us what's going on in general. And so that can be hard when she says something you really don't like, but uh, you know that's something you want to try if you, you can do that. What is she currently doing? What's going on with her right now? She works. Uh, she works and she goes to school too. Uh, since the grade wasn't that good, uh, a couple months ago I told her, you know, if you get good grades, I'm going to pay. 
But if you're going to do that, you know, I'm not going to pay for it. Pay for what, and school? Said, okay. Yeah, for the school. Uh-huh. And, uh, but, you know, however she didn't do good, I still, uh, I was paying. So this well, time for the summer class, yeah. mm-hmm. I, I told her, no, I'm not going to pay. Because, you know, you can take a couple months off and see really what you want to do. And she got very upset, and she said, yeah, you, you want me to be a loser and this and that. I said, no, you know, it's not just going to school. You have to have the time. You have to spend the time to study for it, and you're not doing that. And, you know, just leaving the room. Mm-hmm. Um, and what did she say to that? Well, she paid herself. Okay. For that semester, you know, I don't know how she's doing it, but um, usually she doesn't disclose to me. Once in a while, you know, she say, I cannot transfer, I cannot do this, I cannot do that, my grade is so low. Like, for example, a couple months ago, she took a class, and she was complaining about the biology class. And she said, all these kids in the lab, are they are so dumb, they don't understand anything, and I have to work with them. And mm-hmm. she, you know... And later on, I asked her, what did you get in that class? She said, I got C. And like, if you're talking like, I didn't tell her, but I was telling myself, if you were complaining like that, then you should do better. Yeah. Because uh, she had depression and all those stuff, too. I, I do That's know what that. I was, yeah, it seems like there's depression. There might be more than just depression, because the way she blames everyone else, it's always someone else's fault can be more related to the personality also, which is what I'm concerned about too, that it's more than just the depression, that it's always someone else's fault or she's blaming someone else. And so there isn't yes. feeling of responsibility. Now it could be because she's waiting for you to judge her that she has to come up with an excuse that makes it that it's not her fault. So that's what I want you to be aware of is that the more you judge her for that you should have done this or you should be better or you should, should do this and that, the more she's going to have to come up with an excuse. Oh, no, it's not that I got a bad grade because I didn't try hard enough. The professor was from a foreign country and doesn't know how to teach or doesn't speak English well. So if we focus on blame, then the person always has to come up with a defense. But if we try to understand, it can give her more space to tell you, you know, Mom, I didn't try hard or I didn't study at all. And then even if she tells you that, I know your first thought or reaction is, well, why? Why didn't you study? You should have studied. But we want to, again, try to understand what's going on for her. Is she depressed? Does she not believe in herself? Whatever else is going on, we want to give her that space to, to tell you. But the more you judge her, the less she'll tell you about what's going on and the less you can actually help her or support her in whatever she's going through. So be very aware of that, that I can feel it in how you've talked about a few things. And I can understand you're concerned about what she's going through. But the more it comes off as judgment, the less she's going to tell you. Right. She was seeing a psychiatrist, too. She was on the medication, too. Uh, but for some reason, you know, all the time, you know, going to a different doctor, changing the medication. So she was telling me, and I said, you know, don't think that medication, they're going to do magic. Mm-hmm. Part is medication, part is you. You have to change the lifestyle. You have to change your thinking. And, you know... So what is she, if you even ask her what she's going through, what would she tell you? She says she's depressed. What else does she say? She said, I'm depressed. You know, I messed up my life. Uh, you know, I'm a loser. 
I asked her one time, you know, why are you not going out with those friends? And for the first time in her life, I can say she started crying and she said, mm. I'm just so behind. I'm a loser. And I keep telling her, no, you're not a loser. Instead of, you know, a lot of people do this mistake later on in their life. You're doing it now and you're learning it. Mm-hmm. It's not that. But uh, she would agree. But, you know. Yeah, we really we want to make sure that she doesn't feel like a loser from in, in your eyes, you know, that you don't make her feel that way. And even the way you told me she should have already been done with school isn't going to give her a good feeling. So be aware of how you're giving her that mindset. Let me ask you a bit about your son. What is he like? What was he like in school? My son has, uh, you know, he's, he has attention deficit. He has a little bit of learning difficulty. Okay. He goes to college. He's taking like one classes by one. Uh-huh. He doesn't go full-time because of the attention. And he was on the medication, but the medication was making him a little bit depressed. So I stopped taking, giving him the medication. But he's doing okay. Like before, uh, my daughter was like in the middle school. And she used to tease my son because he's a little bit slow. So in the middle school, one day I told her, you know, he has this difficulty. And she got so upset and she said, why you didn't tell me? because I was teasing him all the time. I said, well, you were too young. You know, I didn't want to tell you. And since then, even sometimes she gets angry at him, but uh, she controls herself. I mean, you know, doesn't say anything or, you know, say something to make my son upset. Okay. She's that mature. She, she does understand that. I remember, like, she was in the middle school. We want to go to a wedding. It was like a gay uh, wedding. Mm-hmm. And I told her, should I bring the brother? And he said, no, he doesn't need to know it. Don't tell him. He's not mature yet. So how old so was he? I, she I, said that he can't handle it? Yeah. Okay, how old was he? He was in the high school. She was okay. in the middle school. Okay. The age difference is like two, two and a half yeah. years. I'm, I'm sure he could handle it even back then, but okay. But so she was yeah, worried I about mean, her. Yeah, her suggestion was that. Like many times she said, you know, uh, it's your fault. I don't speak that good Farsi. I said, you know, the problem because of my son, uh, we started speaking English at home. But uh, he went to Farsi school two times. He didn't continue it. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. he didn't want to. There does seem like she does have a lot of anger towards you, but I'm not sure if it's just like from what things have happened or there is this way that she tends to blame others for what she's going through. And that's why I was saying you want to be careful not to put so much pressure on her because then she's going to have to get defensive and find other reasons rather than trying to figure out what's going on with herself. So right. don't we don't want to make her feel bad if she makes a mistake. We want her to try to understand. And it's not about figuring out whose who's fault was it. It doesn't matter. Let's try to understand what's going on and what can we do to make it better. Even she tells you, Mom, you're, everything bad in my life is your fault. I don't agree with that, but rather than trying to defend yourself, try to understand what she doesn't like. What did I do that bothered you? What did I do that hurt you? I want to try to understand it. And it doesn't mean you say that she was right and you were the, such a bad mom, but you're trying to understand where she's coming from. And eventually, not that you should tell her this first, because it's going to sound like you're not 
validating her feelings or hearing yourself. Whatever you did as a mom and whatever her dad did, did as a dad, it's going to be up to her to figure out how to live her life now with whatever is going on. Um, but, you know, we want to first show her we understand where she's coming from. Now, I know you said that her father, the age difference is a lot. How involved is he in her life? Oh, he's, he's involved, but uh, but he says, you know, just give, it, give her some time to get upset, too. Uh, one thing, you know, uh, he was com- she was complaining. My husband is a very professional guy, but... Uh, we're not we're not poor, but we're not you know uh, rich. So she always was telling me, how come you know uh, these people that have that kind of the degree? My my husband is an MD, mm-hmm. but you know we don't live like that. And I said, okay, your dad is not in the money. He sees so many free patients, you know, mm-hmm. and we are okay. We're not poor, but we're not rich. Yeah. And you know, some point she said, yeah, I like it. You know, I want to be like you guys, help people, do this, do that. Mm-hmm. Um, I, the way she talks is so mature. It's very hard for someone to realize it's like she has another personality. Yeah, but it seems and like... A lot of time, I give her a lot of compliments. And she says, oh, I have different sides. Maybe. And that, that's the part I'm trying to understand. There's almost like a a way she splits herself too. maybe this darker side comes out of I me. Mean, we all have it, but that it seems like she doesn't even understand herself very well. I would hope she does keep going to therapy. I know she said the therapist she went through to made her feel like she, she was hating you. Um, so your daughter herself said that the therapist was making me hate you. She said that trap is the way she was talking about you you know, was causing me to hate you. That, that's what she told me. Mm-hmm. After that, she saw so many different topics, but uh, she said, no, they don't understand, you know, she's not helpful. Even one time, I, I, they just listened to me. I said, okay, you can ask them, you can tell them the problem, but they give you some guidance. Uh-huh. And she said, okay, I'm going to ask them. But basically, I don't know what's going on there. Well, most, you know, a lot of times therapy is not as even like right now you and I are having a conversation and I am a therapist, but therapy that I do is going to be less direct than this. So it's not as much about advice and guidance as much as it is about there is a lot more listening, but it seems like she wants some guidance and sometimes therapists can provide some of that, but they're not going to make the decisions for you. Right. But, you know, I hope she would go. Yeah, she needs to, she does seem to need to understand herself better. But what I would tell you is what I tell a lot of parents is rather than thinking your job is to get her through school and to be her academic manager in a way, your role is to make a good relationship with her, not to get her through school, not to um, make her a good student. It's to make sure you and her have a good relationship more than anything. Yeah, but my question is suppose she's telling me something, some decision that is wrong. So what, what should I tell her? Well, what, wrong what wrong is a very, you know, you're judging it as you know what's right and wrong. And it's not usually going to be that clear. So you have to already remind yourself, I might think it's wrong or I might disagree, but doesn't mean I necessarily know. And at least have a conversation with her and don't make it your goal to convince her to do what you think is 
quote unquote right because we don't know if that's even the case. But you talk to her. Yeah, you know, she says, I want to date two guys at the same time and lie to both of them. You can say, okay, you know, w- w- what do you think about that? And see what she says. And you can say, you know, to me, I, you don't have to lie and say, that's great, good job, I'm proud of you. You can say, you know, I don't like, to me, that seems like you're treating them poorly and it's not very nice. And like you even said to her, you know, if we imagine yourself in one of their shoes, you probably wouldn't like it either. So I don't know. And you would ask her, why do you think you want to do that? But in a way that doesn't make her feel so judged that she's a bad person and then she'll just hide it from you anyway. So I'm not, definitely don't lie to her. If she's doing something that you think is very wrong, you don't have to pretend like it's good or deny that you don't agree with it. You can let her know that, but just be mindful of how you tell her can affect whether or not she'll feel judged and then get defensive or hide it from you, or maybe she'll actually have a conversation with you, you know? So other than the dating, you said like two people at the same time, which if you're open about it, it's not necessarily a bad thing. If you're lying, of course, that would make it not okay. But what other things do you think of when you say if she asks me about something and she's doing something wrong? Why? Well, I'm asking you, what else is it that she does that you say is wrong that she comes and asks you about? Well, uh, like she was stealing from me. She was stealing my jewelry, my clothes, selling them, you know. Selling them? Yeah. Okay, so what happened there? Uh, when I told, well, many times I just ignore it. Many times I just ignore I wouldn't, it. I wouldn't head. ignore it. No, I wouldn't ignore those things. I know we sometimes we'll talk about ignoring bad behavior, but this is behavior that has to have consequences because it's it's not going to go away like that. I'm not saying you have to make it just disappear by tell, confronting her, but you have to let her know it's not okay. And something else, you eventually follow through it. You know, if you're going to make a threat, like I'm not going to pay for your school, you do have to follow through. I wouldn't necessarily make that threat, but you have to stand by it. I guess you eventually did by not paying for the summer class. But the problem is with her, if she'll probably find a way to pay for it in a way. If she's stealing from you, she might find other ways that aren't very good to do the same thing. And so that's concerning. But so what happened with the stealing? What what was she stealing from you? How did you find out? What happened? Oh, well, I was noticing things getting missing, you know. And then when I realized that later on, I told her. And I said, why you did that? Every time, anytime you wanted something, you know, if it was reasonable, I would do it for you. And she said, no, I needed money. But she, she would do that, but she would see a, like a homeless guy in the street and she would pay for that guy, help that guy. You know what I mean? I understand. But but, but about her stealing from you, and she, what did she need money for? Buying clothes or shoes. Uh, one thing I did so a that's, couple years The ago, thing is need. That's not about need. That's more want. And that's why, like I was saying, there does seem to be a personality issue here, even some elements of borderline personality um, that right. you have to be aware of. Because that's one of the things we see is that they things that they want or they like become a feeling of need. I needed these new shoes. Well, no one needs this newest pair of shoes. If they have shoes on their feet, they might want them. They might really like them, but they don't need them. So the way that she's saying, I needed to steal money from you because I needed to get whatever clothes or shoes. She said, you know, a few times she said, it just come to my mind and I want to do something. Like before she gets a driver license, she was taking our car at middle of the night. Mm-hmm. Driving. Yeah, there's a, there's a, there's a, you know, 
it could be something like ADHD, but even like a bipolar, there seems to be something that's a little off in her decision making and her impulse control. So she does things that are not right. And she seems like she feels like she can't control herself from stopping herself. So there seems to be more going on than just depression. I wouldn't just say that she's depressed and that's it. It definitely seems like there's more. And there, if there's bipolar, well, then there would be depression along with this other side. But the impulsivity is not okay. And so you as a mother, you actually, I would not ignore what she does when it's wrong. I would confront her in a gentle way, but not ignore it. Because right. it's actually going to hurt her more. Because in the real world, she's going to face real life consequences. And she needs to see that. That it's not like everyone's going to be okay with you just stealing from them. And might just try to ignore it. No, they're not going to ignore it. You could even go to jail. And if it's with a friend or a boyfriend, they're going to probably be very upset and react in a very negative way. So this stealing, uh, you know, and you mentioned the lying before, but this deceptiveness is something concerning that I don't want you to ignore it because that can actually hurt her rather than help her. Right. I can see she's challenging. You know, there's a lot of challenges yes. you have with her. And so there's no easy way. And I don't want you to think you're supposed to try to, you know, I don't even like to think of people as needing to be fixed, but to think you have to fix her or solve all these issues because it's very complicated. But, you know, I wouldn't ignore what she's doing because she needs to see the the consequences of things. And her stealing something from you, maybe you would have given her that thing for free, but the fact that she took it without asking you, that's the problem. You know, and she has to become aware right. of of that, that it's not okay. Right. When she was younger, um, you know, she was involved in so many activities, she didn't continue. So one day, you know, when she was in the high school, she picked one of those activities and got very involved in it, going there, you know, morning, noon, afternoon, uh, every time. So then she broke her ankle and she couldn't do it. Mm -hmm. Then I realized, you know, maybe... You know, I give her time, she's going to pick up whatever she wants to do, you know. Mm-hmm. So at the same time, it was like two years ago, um, I told her, do you want to live by yourself? And she said, yeah, I'd love to do that. Are you trying to kick me out? I said, no, no, I just want you to experience it that way. So I rent a room for her. And she was so happy. She was so happy to go there. She had a roommate, too. Mm-hmm. After a while... Um, they asked her to leave. I talked to the roommate, and she said, well, she has the boyfriend there constantly. I'm losing my privacy. The boyfriend is bringing the dog over there. So when I told her, she said, no, 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 that girl is lying. Mm. I, my boyfriend just came one or two times. Okay. Let me, I'm going to stop you there. We're at another commercial yeah. break, and I want us to wrap this up on the other end. But like I said, this if you can't think of other things she's done, that involve if there's other things that involve either stealing or lying because there seems to be something here that we need to talk about a bit more okay so i'm going to put you on hold we'll talk after the break okay okay sure all right you're listening to in session with dr fatty delock we will be right back welcome back let's go back to the caller we're with caller are you still there Yes. Okay. So before the break, you, you you got more into some of the things she's done, like stealing your daughter, who's 22. Um, and so I asked you if you could think of any other things related to deception and lying that she had done. Did Did you think of anything else? Uh, well, uh, 
like as a, this age she is or when she in, was No, in young. general, even when she was younger. Well, when she was younger, yeah. One time, um, I guess maybe she was first grade or something. Oh, okay. Well, that might be different, but yeah. But still, you can share the story, but yes. Uh, you want to tell you? Yeah, go ahead. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, when we left at the store, I noticed she's playing with something in her pocket. And I asked her, what do you have? She said, nothing, nothing. I looked at it, it was hearing that she took it from the store. So I got so upset. I started crying. And I said, no, we have to go and return it. And she was crying, too. And she said, no, 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 I'm not going to do it. I said, no, we're just going to go return it. We went inside the store. I uh, told the manager, by mistake, she put this in her pocket. Mm -hmm. And she said, oh, that's okay. Thank you for giving it back and all this stuff. Okay. Um, well, I think it was good was to the face the consequence uh, of going back, even though she didn't want it. And, and, you know, you don't have to say she stole it, but I guess in a way you bended the truth a little bit. It was likely she took it on purpose. But she was five or six, uh, and I wouldn't... Yeah. That's not necessarily a big sign of something, but... Like I said, I think it was good to make her face that consequence, even in that moment, that you did something wrong. We can face it and go make it right by giving right. it back. Okay. But, I mean, that's at five or six, that's different than stealing it from you when she was a teenager or more recently and then selling your stuff for money. That's that's a little bit more concerning, you know, that she was doing, doing those things. Um, and so there are some hints of more... More than just depression, as I said, like a personality issue. And does she go through periods where she'll, for example, really like someone and then really hate them after a while? Uh, yeah. I mean, um, if it's not the case, don't you? Know, I mean, I'm just asking, so I don't want you to just confirm it if you don't really see that. But the reason why I'm asking is people with. No, she does. Okay. So can you give, like, what examples come to mind? Like, some of the friends. You okay. know, for a while, you know, she likes that person. Then she said, you know, um, she's a loser. She's this and that. I don't like to be around her. And then it starts with someone else? Yeah, then after a couple of months, it's still going back to that friend, talking to that friend. Uh, yeah, she does that. Okay, that's a little bit maybe different. It could be the same thing. But well, what I'm talking about, individuals that have borderline personality disorder will... What we say is they'll idealize someone and they'll devalue them. So it could be a friend or it could be a romantic partner and they'll say he's the greatest person in the world. He's the love of my life. I can't believe I met someone like him. And then a few months later, they'll say he's the meanest person. He's evil. He's the worst. He's yeah, maybe a loser, whatever other words. And so it's this um, going back and forth that the same person will be the greatest and then the worst. And they do that with a lot of people. And, and that could be a pattern. So maybe she doesn't do that the way that I'm describing it. So it might not be something she deals with. Um, but there does seem to be something more than the depression. And so you have to realize that you're not going to just change her or fix her. You know, she's going to need some therapy or not just some, probably a lot of therapy. And also, like I said, don't try to focus so much on just getting her through school and thinking of her right. as, as trying to manage her. You have to make a good relationship with her. And I think the age gap with your husband doesn't help the situation. 50 years is a lot. So I don't know how involved he is or close he is with her, but that might have played a role. How close are you and him? What's your relationship like with your husband? Uh, it's okay. Okay. It's okay. It's, it's not 
such a great relationship, but it's okay. Uh, most likely, the most problem we have is the kids. Okay, but I mean, are you and him close? Uh, in what way? I'm mean, every way. Talking? Yeah. Or... Is there a close yeah, relationship? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, we talk, you know. I but he, he sees things a little bit differently, you know. Okay, how does he see He's okay, it's going to get better, it's going to get better, just, you know. He's a little bit laid back. So. Okay, which might not be bad. Uh, you know, we don't want to ignore what's going on, but you might try to get too involved and try to do too much. So some of that laying, being more laid back might be good for you. It doesn't mean we ignore it, but also we can't fix the problem for her. So, you know, being a little bit laid back might be good because you can't try to change everything that's going on. She She's going to need to figure these things out. What's important for you, I think, is that to give her consequences and show her she can't just do whatever she wants, um, but still to try to maintain a loving relationship with her, which can be difficult, uh, but she seems like she's she's challenging. She's not going to be easy. No, she's not easy. No. But she wants to change. I'm 100% sure about that. Okay, how does she show you that? She tells me, you know, she tells me she wants to do this, she wants to do that, she has this ambition, that ambition, a lot of things. Okay, so that, like, what but are her ambitions? Uh, you know, she she loves she she loves to be veterinarian. Okay. She tried that, and you know, I mean, going taking the classes and all those things in the college, and um, you know, she didn't do good. Even right now, she sees the doctor is a gynecologist, uh-huh. and is a young Iranian lady. You know just looking at my daughter as a you know, younger sister. And she said uh, that doctor told her, uh, you know, however, I'm busy, but you can come and talk to me. I'd rather you bring your mom, too. Mm-hmm. And she said, no, I don't want to get my mom involved. Mm-hmm. And she said, I told the doctor, you're so intelligent because you are a doctor, you're this and that. And she said, no, I'm not intelligent. I'm just working so hard. That's good. I actually, I, I really like that doctor's answer. That's a great response. Yeah. Yeah, but she doesn't realize that. I always tell her, you know, she, when she complains, I say, look at me. I'm a foreigner. Look at my English. Look at my accent. I could get a master's degree. Mm-hmm. If I could do it, you can do it. Everyone else can do it. And she said, no, your time was easy. Well, I don't, know I don't think it was easy. Was it was different, although I know maybe she means like going to school and colleges and graduate school was different before. doesn't mean it was easy, but it was different. But still, I'm very happy with what that doctor said, that it's not because she's smart, that she's where she is in her career. It's because she worked hard. And the same is true for her. It seems like something is missing there for her, that she doesn't like to work hard or put herself in an uncomfortable situation and she just wants to have things so that's what i was saying there seems to be some kind of disconnect between her just wanting something and thinking she needs it or she deserves it there's like an entitled way that it seems like she might feel about things that she wants to be a veterinarian yeah you have to work very hard to become a veterinarian for many years it's not just because you like it or you want it you're going to get it and there's something missing there of her realizing the work it's going to take to reach those goals. It's good to have ambitions, but they can't just be dreams that we fantasize about. It has to be something that we try to make a plan to make a reality. And that's the part that might be hard for her. So 
I think she would benefit from a long-term therapy relationship with a therapist, but she has to want to go and has to feel good about that therapist. I would recognize that your role can only be so much. Don't try to fix her. Don't try to change her. You can be a support. Like I said before, when she talks to you, try not to come off as judgmental because the more you judge her, the less she'll tell you anyway, and she'll still do whatever the things are you don't want her to do. So we want to give her that space to talk to you. But it does seem like there's some challenges, and I wouldn't just leave it at it's only depression. It seems like there's much more, maybe a personality issue. She might also have ADHD uh, like her brother because we know it is a genetic disorder or has a genetic basis to it so there could be something there she could get tested for that if she hasn't already because that could lead to some of the impulsiveness you're talking about the bad decisions so i would think about that too getting her tested for adhd has she been tested before no she was going to do that but then she changed her mind okay well i would bring it up to her and that it's not something bad if she has it it's to understand her better um it's worth getting at least that test to either find if that's what she's dealing with or to rule that out it could be part of what's going on with the impulsivity also the difficulties in school could be related to that but even if that's not what she's dealing with we want to try to understand her better and for herself to understand herself better and then help herself but um, again your role is going to be more limited as far as helping her in that way the thing you can have the biggest impact is your relationship with her right okay Okay. Yeah. Thank Thanks for so calling. Much, Good uh, luck. Yes. Wish you the best. Take care. Thank you. Thank you so much. Sure. Bye-bye. All right. Going into our last commercial break, you're listening to In Session with Dr. Fadi Jalakwi. We'll be right back. Welcome back. As I mentioned earlier in the show on Monday night's show, I was joined by therapist Mariam Golami, and we talked about decision-making and aspects of it about what it means to make even a good or a better decision and how our identity and values can play a big part in helping us make important decisions rather than just thinking of it as some rational decision that involves pros and cons, but uh, making a choice we feel good about and will feel good about in the future. And at the end of the show, we got to talk a few minutes about what parents can do to help their children uh, make better decisions and to improve their decision-making ability. And I wanted to expand on that a bit because I think it's such an important topic for parents because it is a challenging one of helping our kids become better at making decisions. And so the first, in a way, rule of thumb or piece of advice is that just like anything we want to get good at or better at, the only way we can do that is through practice and through having that experience of making decisions. So as parents, we have to take a step back and recognize that if we want our children to be good decision makers and to be better at making decisions, we have to give them the opportunities to make their own decisions, to make decisions in their lives, and to actually live with those decisions. Because if we really want to give them the experience, we have to let them deal with the whole consequences and the whole sequence of events. So you're faced with making a decision, You think about things, you weigh the options, and then you make a decision, and then you live with the consequences and the results. Because if we don't let them do that, then they don't actually get the experience of learning from what it's like to make decisions and what they will face when they make certain types of decisions. So what some parents will do is they'll say, I let my kid make a decision, but then if there's some bad consequences, I might take those away because I don't want them to be hurt. 
And so this goes back to my uh, argument against the pain prevention philosophy of parenting, which is a lot of parents, they approach parenting as something that involves only removing or reducing pain for their children. That at any moment or any option that comes up, if they can make pain less, they should always do that, or even discomfort less, they should do that. And this is where it's so important for parents to differentiate, just like it is even for ourselves, to differentiate between the pain that is damage or loss and pain that is resulting in growth. Because when we take away pain that results in growth, we're actually taking away something from our children rather than giving them something. So we don't want to take away those opportunities from for growth. And a lot of times letting them live with the consequences of their actions actually helps them grow rather than hurts them in the long term. So the classic example is a kid comes to you and says, oh, mom, I had this project for four weeks, but I didn't work on it and it's due tomorrow. And, you know, alarm bells start ringing in your head. You remember being a student yourself. You start thinking about your child and the, the pain they might face tomorrow if they show up to class with an incomplete project. And you might swoop in and do the whole thing for them or work on it for them until they fall asleep and then finish the job yourself and pat yourself on the back and say, gosh, I'm such a good mom or I'm such a good dad because I'm not letting my kid feel pain. I saved them. I rescued them. And that good feeling we get from rescuing them or saving them might actually take away from us realizing that we have removed an opportunity for growth for our child to actually face the consequences of, oh, see what happens when you procrastinate, which we all do, even as adults, but look what happens when you don't get something done. But unfortunately, if we come in and save the day and feel so good about ourselves, what has our kid learned? They've learned that, okay, you avoid taking responsibility, you avoid working on something and planning ahead, and at the end, someone comes and saves the day for you anyway. So it doesn't matter. So don't worry about figuring something out. And the painful reality that we might have to face is that at times it'll be better to let them go in the next day with an incomplete project, which means we might get a call from the teacher saying, you know what, your son or your daughter didn't do this project, wanted to let you know. And maybe that'll bring up some feelings of, am I a bad dad or mom? Because the teacher is calling me, how are they viewing me and a bunch of other things. But we're allowing our child to face what happened. And even when I say face the consequences, doesn't mean we're being cold or callous and that even we can't be very warm and loving to them in the process. So they might come back and say, oh, I felt so bad. Other kids had their projects and I didn't. And that can break your heart to see your kids sad about that. And you would empathize with them. You know, I can see how that was hurtful or that made you sad that you didn't have your project. That didn't feel very good. And explore it further. What do you think happened? And maybe they'll share with you, which is probably the truth, that, you know, I was so nervous about the project or I didn't want to work on it because I was scared or it just didn't seem fun, so I did other things. And look, we're talking about a kid and thinking, oh, yeah, it's such a childish thing to do, but adults are doing this all the time. Every one of you listening, and me as, as well included, is probably avoiding something that we should take care of or could do that would be good for us, but it's uncomfortable or brings up anxiety or we're afraid of failing or whatever else it might be, and we're avoiding it. So it's part of being human that we do this, and so we want our children to be aware of this and start to learn lessons about how they can try to overcome that feeling 
when they want to procrastinate, but recognize that even if something is uncomfortable, go ahead and do it anyway. So as parents, we have to give our kids the space to make choices and to then live with those choices. Not because we just want to throw them out into the cold and we don't care, but actually we want to help them grow. And I'd rather your child have an issue with procrastination that causes uh, some consequences in third grade rather than when they're in college or when it comes to their work or other things. So they become better at it later on when the stakes are actually higher. Let them make the mistakes more when they're younger now to help make them stronger so they'll make less mistakes. We'll never make none, but less mistakes as they get older. So we have to give them um, that ability and that opportunity to make those choices and to then live with those choices. And also, again, it doesn't mean we just say, figure it out yourself. We can have conversations with them where we let them tell us why they're thinking of making this choice versus that choice. Explore the pros and cons. Talk about the feelings they have. And then even afterwards, talk about, okay, well, what do you think? Or they might think, you know, I realized I thought this would be good, but now I'm realizing that wasn't the case. And then you explore that with them. So it's a process that you want to be involved with rather than just focusing on the decisions themselves. It's about the process that's important. Whether your child chooses to wear the red pants or the green pants doesn't really matter very much at all really in the big scheme of things, but the process of making the decision is what's important. So you focus more on the process than the content, but oftentimes parents get so focused on, well, what's the right decision? They should wear these pants or they should do this thing, so we should tell them to do this. And that's not really the most important thing that's happening. Rather than having a learning moment, we're just focused on some kind of right quote unquote, that we think is the best thing to do and losing sight of the bigger picture, which is we want our children to learn how to make decisions for themselves. And something I see a lot um, in my office is working with young adults who feel very lost when it comes to making big decisions in their lives because they've had parents who, as I've been describing, have been so focused on reducing pain and discomfort for their kids and thinking they know what's better for their kids and they know what's best. And so they constantly make the decisions for their child. You should do this, not do this. You should be friends with this kid and you shouldn't be friends with that kid. You should take this class, not that class. You should study this or that or whatever it is. And they make all these decisions with their kid, taking for their kid, taking away the ownership and the authority the child has in their own life, taking away the opportunity for the child to make decisions and to live with the consequences of those decisions, but also very importantly, constantly giving the child the message that you don't know how to make a choice. You will make the wrong choice. That's why I have to make it for you. I'm all knowing, or I know, and I'm smarter than you. I have to make the decision because if I leave it to you, you're going to make a bad choice. You're going to get yourself in trouble. You're going to do something that hurts you. You're going to do something that's less than optimal. So I have to make the decisions for you. And so hundreds and thousands of times over the course of the child's life, you're giving them this message that you don't know how to make a good choice. You will make a mistake if I let you make the decision. And then when I see this now former child, now young adult in my office, they're facing big questions like, what should I study? What should be my profession or my career? Who should I date and who should I marry? Or do I even want to get married and have children? Big decisions like this, they're now ask, now uh, being asked to decide when they have no experience making important decisions or even a lot of times smaller decisions. And also they've been told to doubt themselves. 
you don't know what you want. Even if you think you know what you want, it's not the good thing. It's not the right thing. And so they can feel completely lost when it comes time to make very important decisions in their lives. And so again, we want to give them the experience of making decisions and sometimes getting it wrong, as we all do when they're younger, so that as they get older, they can feel more confident about making these very important decisions in their lives, that they learn to listen to that voice within themselves when it comes to making a decision. What do you want? And when we make the decision for them, we don't let them listen to that voice of what do I want? What feels right to me? Which a lot of times is going to be more important, as I talked about with uh, Mariam Golami on the show Monday night. A lot of times a decision is more about what you want, what feels right to you, what fits in line with who you are, what your values are, who you want to be, rather than there being a black and white right decision. What should you study? I can't tell you. That's much more of a personal thing that comes with you understanding what you feel passionate about, what you're interested in, what you feel like you're good at, and what will feel fulfilling to you. No one else can answer that question for you. Someone can help you get to that decision within yourself, but the decision is coming from within. So as parents, we want to show our children from a very young age that it's up to you to know what you want. I don't know what you want to eat because you know what tastes better for you or what you're in the mood for now. But even parents will make those kinds of decisions for their kids. Oh, no, no, you want to eat this now or you like this now. And recognize that when you're doing that, you're telling your child, you don't even know what you want. And so that's what I see in today's generation when we're asking them to make these decisions. You say, well, what do you want to do? And they, I don't know. What kind of person would you like to marry? I don't know. Do you even want to get married? I think I do, but I'm not sure. They totally lose connection with that inner voice. So by helping our children or giving them the opportunities to make decisions, not only are we helping them by giving them opportunities to do this exercise of making decisions, but we're also allowing them to keep that connection with that inner voice or that part of them within themselves that knows what's they, what they want, that intuition. But if we keep telling them you don't know or making the decisions for them, we take away those opportunities. So it can be very hard for parents to allow their children to at times face consequences that might lead to more pain or discomfort in the moment in the uh, exercise of giving them the option of making a choice. When we know something might be easier for them, it can make sense that we want to prevent that harm. But we have to try to take a step back and recognize, is this pain leading to damage or is this pain actually leading to growth? And we don't want to interfere with pain that leads to growth because that's actually hurting them. That is not helping them. And so we have to remember what the mother bird goes through with the babies in her nest, that she loves those babies, brings them food so that they can grow and fly away from her, that they can be strong on their own. And our job as parents isn't to make our kids just feel okay all the time, feel a life that lacks pain and discomfort, but actually encourage them and support them to grow and provide them with those kinds of opportunities that they can continue to grow. So we can help our kids be better decision makers by giving them practice in making decisions, giving them the authority to make decisions, by also reflecting with them and conversing with them about the decisions they have made, how they came to those decisions, what the consequences were, what they would do next time, what they've learned from this experience, and continuing to give them more and more authority in their lives as they get 
older. All right, we've reached the end of tonight or today's show. The book of the week again is Everything in Its Place, First Loves and Last Tales by Oliver Sacks. I'll be sharing that with you on Monday night's show. Okay, thank you, Dulazala, here in the studio. All the callers and the listeners out there, you've been listening to In Session with Dr. Fadi Dulakwi. Have a wonderful day.